Hello, and welcome to Heart, Soul, and Data, where we explore the human side of analytics to help amplify the impacts of those out to change the world. With me, Alexandra Mannerings. Thank you so much for joining me today, Luke. I'm really looking forward to our conversation of a very cool application of data that you have. And of course, someday I do hope to have a much deeper conversation about the extraordinary business that you run. But can we start by you just telling us a little bit about yourself and how you came to data? Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. My name is Luke Kamiski. And well, it all started, I'm originally from Wisconsin, went to school for a computer science background. While I was in school, I very quickly realized that I was one, the most extroverted computer science student, and two, that I really wasn't wanting to build mobile apps in a cubicle for the rest of my life. So I was fortunate enough to find a really cool opportunity up in the Twin Cities where I continue to live today as a data engineer. And that was really my first introduction into all things data and analytics. And uh, it's been just really, really fun journey for me as I've moved between corporate America into consulting and eventually five and a half years ago now, founding my own company, Data Drive, that continues to do data and analytics consulting for companies of all sizes. So data is a big part of my life and continues to be. I love that idea of being the most extroverted data science or um, computer, <laughs> computer science. Because yes, I definitely run into that too, of, you know, bringing a whole lot of, of energy and excitement about data and people are kind of like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So I was curious, you know, we connected because I, I saw a story that you shared about an adventure you went on with your wife. So I was wondering if you could set the stage a little bit about that adventure. Yeah. Yeah. So um, my wife and I met each other in college. We actually saw so we went to a University of Wisconsin, Eau Claire, which is actually pretty well known nationally for its study abroad programs. The reason why that's important is because both my wife and I actually traveled abroad during college to two very separate countries. But we had a long distance relationship, but also just amazing experiences individually. And when we got out of college, we had always really talked about how, you know, we really just wanted to be able to experience the world together. And we knew that every year that would pass by in corporate America and the American life, that there's always going to be a thousand reasons why it would be hard to stop and go travel and just experience the world. So that all ultimately culminated into towards the kind of mid 2015, we just were getting to that point where we had a healthy down payment on our first house ready to rock and roll. And we knew that was going to be a big commitment. We didn't have any kids at the time. And so ultimately, we, I don't really, it was probably just really good conversations over glasses of wine that we ended up just buying a one-way ticket to Tokyo and said that we're going to, we're going to make something happen in 2016 that is going to be us enjoying our time together. And so ultimately, um, leading into 2016, we both quit our jobs sold everything, took our healthy down payment on our house and said, we're going to keep traveling until we run out of money. I love that. You sort of called it your quarter life retirement or <laughs> sabbatical. And it is such an incredible journey. And you're right that, you know, once you have kids and a career and everything that it is, it does just get harder and harder to untangle yourself from that. But you mentioned in, in the story that I was reading that one of the takeaways from this adventure wasn't just the time that you got to spend with your wife. And it wasn't just the extraordinary insights from, that come from being in different places and in different cultures and surrounded by different points of view, but also that data literacy and data-driven insights actually make an aspirational goal like this achievable. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how that could possibly be true and why, like what's the function of that? Yeah. 
It's so true for us because I think with my career in data and just when you talk about traveling the world and you just kind of throw out this big dream of like, we're just going to, we're going to travel and see where it takes us. There's, there comes a point where you just have to run the numbers and be comfortable about how that math works out. And it's, it's not complicated math by any means, but you have to have this idea of knowing that, all right, I'm going to a bunch of countries that I don't know how much it costs to actually be there. I have a certain amount of money at, at which point, like I'm going to run out. I'm, you know, I'm just barely out of college, so I'm not working with like this unlimited inheritance. So there's like a finite amount of resources. And I think the benefit of both my wife and I just being incredibly, you know, driven by numbers and just knowing how to work through the math is doing the proper research to make sure that, you know, have other people done this before? What type of budgets were they working with? What is the cost of really traveling in these environments? Because that really helped us figure out how long we could afford to travel and where we should be really focusing our attention on too, because every spot in this world has different cost of living. And so being able to break down that goal of like, hey, we've got this large number. And if we were to break this down to ultimately our goal is $50 a day per person, how can we pull that off over the long term? I think that that's such a wonderful insight because oftentimes dreaming right doesn't seem compatible with cold hard facts or numbers, right? They seem like they occupy completely different spaces. But in fact, what you're saying is that to translate that dream into a world where there are some hard realities, like at some point you will just run out of money. Mm -hmm. You can't just hope that you'll have more, like there will be a hard stop and there will be a wall that gets hit from that. And that to translate this very like this big dream, this thing that has been a fantasy in some ways, it's just existed in hopes, but then to have it enter the reality has to go through this translation process. Mm -hmm. And that translation is guided by those numbers. And I like to point it out that at some point you are making some assumptions. You're having to make some guesses. And so being data literate helps make those assumptions as accurate as you can be before you get there, but then also makes you comfortable in taking that step, right? And taking that guess that you feel like, okay, you know what? We do have a good handle on how to do this and we'll know how you know to respond. I was wondering if you could refine a little bit more. So you talked about having goals and that you're going to have to measure these things. Were there specific data literacy skills that helped you be able to make that reality actually happen and follow those goals? Or is it generally just being comfortable with numbers? Yeah, it's definitely being comfortable, one. But also, I think to your point on assumptions, we, you know, we knew a general path. Like our whole philosophy is that we wanted to travel the sun. So we wanted we wanted to travel with wherever the summer was happening within countries. So that that means flip-flopping between southern hemisphere and northern hemisphere throughout the year. And with our one-way ticket to Japan, like if you don't if you don't know Japan, well at least at least back when we traveled, is a very expensive place to travel to. And immediately following that, we went to Australia and New Zealand, also known for being very expensive places to even try to budget travel through. But again, to like knowing the assumptions of knowing where we generally wanted to go, we knew we wanted to experience Southeast Asia. We knew we eventually wanted to get to Europe. We could really start forecasting out ahead and saying, all right, like even though we are air quotes like running hot at the beginning of this of this journey where we're definitely not hitting $50 a day per person, we know that over the average of this trip is that we'll be able to get back in alignment with our goals and our budget that we're working with. And so understanding how numbers work and how being comfortable with, I have a long-term goal and a long-term metric, but I can see how with a plan, being out of compliance with that sort of average metric can still work out in the long run. Yeah. And it allowed us to be able to make decisions on the fly, especially when it got time to get to Southeast Asia is where we purposely slowed down our travel. Not only one, because we loved our time in Southeast Asia, but two, it's, it was helping our numbers get back into alignment of, okay, we can definitely afford to travel for all of 2016 if we hang out in Southeast Asia a little extra. 
<laughs> Absolutely. And that leads into the fact that, you, that a second comment you made was what gets measured gets managed. Mm-hmm. As you talked about that, a really important part was actually looking at this these numbers regularly so you could see how they were changing both from where are we, where have we gone, and then where will we be going and how will these numbers change? So I was wondering if you could speak a little bit more to how you managed to do that sort of measurement to manage. Yeah, it was uh, nothing terribly fancy, and I'm sure my wife got annoyed by it, but it was like my nightly ritual of a Excel spreadsheet of just knowing that it was very basic categories of like food, accommodation, entertainment, and then flights. Every day I was basically filling in what is the amount of money that we've spent during that day. And so, there, you know, there's these these per day calculations of like, how much did it cost us for us to live today? But that number isn't as important as being able to be able to aggregate that all up to understand where are we at as, as a trip goes. And so having, I mean, it wasn't anything too crazy. It was just an Excel spreadsheet with about five or six columns and maybe some average calculations thrown in there. But it would allow us to see both our budgeted plan of like where we plan to be and how much we think that cost of living is going to be, but then also being always to know exactly where we sit on every every single moment and be able to track those on a daily basis. But that activity of measuring only took about maybe a minute or two at night to be like, how much did we spend on lunch? Like it didn't need to be scientific. It just needed to be directionally correct. There's a lot of pieces in there that are really valuable (laughs) when you're talking about trying to succeed at a big goal with simple data. The first, you know, you talked about you had four categories, right? You could have just looked at your credit card statement or your bank balance every day and just been like, how much did we spend? But that doesn't get you to the actionable part because obviously food, lodging are kind of requirements. You have to eat. So if you're going to be making adjustments, how you make those adjustments are going to differ across those categories. And like how much control you have over them, right? Like you're not going to get flights below a certain threshold. They're just going to take up a certain amount of your budget. But you could pick where you're going to moderate within those limitations. And then you could fully skip entertainment on any given day if you were like out of whack of your budget. So I thought that was really interesting that you talked about, you know, that row level activity, having specific enough categories that could drive action, but not so much that took more than a minute or two for you to ballpark this. And like you said, be directionally correct. And then be able to roll it back up to sort of see again back towards that specific goal. And I, I just I love this example as well because it shows like you really can make something happen with very simple data interventions. And I think it's easy for us to think that things have to be really complicated to fuel success. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100 percent. And like to the point about just the simplicity of the categories really did allow us to keep in mind like what we valued about the experience, right? Like we we knew we wanted to experience certain things together. So like things like entertainment did also include just like once in a lifetime experiences and adventures we can have together. And so by having that category sitting there of like, you know, it's easy to say like, let's spend zero on experiences, yeah. but there's also the concept of like, could we actually change our budget around? Like, could we stay at a cheaper hostel? Could we actually stay at a 16 bunk dorm instead of an eight bunk dorm? Is that a sacrifice we're willing to make to make the numbers work for the entertainment experience that we actually want to happen? So yeah, fair point with the categories, allowing us to make a little bit more fine tuning of those experiences and remember what's valuable to us. May not be valuable to other people, but we were willing to compromise housing at all cost. (laughs) And that's such an important thing. And I feel like I say this over and over and it can never be said enough, which is it's not about just following the numbers, right? You could have made your money stretch four years of travel (laughs) if you truly didn't care about doing anything or living anywhere than like the cheapest possible place to live. But that wasn't the point. The fact that you laid out some value judgments, right? We want to travel with the sun. We want to stay in summer for the entire year. 
that was a value judgment that's not good or bad, again, air quotes, but that was a decision you wanted to make and you put data in service of making sure you could achieve that. Or like to your point that you valued having these like once in a lifetime experiences. And so then you could use the data not to just say, well, our goal is to be at you know zero or minimal expenses in all categories, but the data are going to help us figure out how to have that puzzle fit together. Were yep. there things that you didn't track? You, know, you said you, you kept it as simple and, and lean as possible. Were there a few things that you didn't track that in retrospect you wished you had? Yeah, a ton, actually. I <laughs> Probably the biggest one that I regret not doing is this year was a fantastic year for me to actually do weight loss <laughs> for a number of things. One, I was on a food budget. But number two <laughs> is we were very purposeful about trying to just experience cities very authentically, which meant not trying to Uber or taxi right. or like, I mean, if there's cool things like a tuk-tuk that you never get into, those are fun. But we walked a lot and uh, I'm pretty sure we averaged about 15 to 16 miles a day, but I don't actually know what that number is. And I kind of do wish I had those numbers tracked because there were so many walking steps that I got in there and anything that I would have, I could have done around just like measuring yourself, blanking on like the quantified self, I think they call it. That would have been, that would have been a lot of fun to see just that change in all of those behaviors. That would have been really easy to track if I really thought through it. That's true. And to some extent, it wouldn't maybe have helped you achieve the goal of traveling a year, but it would have given you a really neat insight and a way of of measuring and explaining what you got up to that year. Yeah. And the other one I'll, I'll briefly mention, too, is I tried my hand at being a travel writer because I thought I could maybe make a career out of having like this blog that everyone was going to go to and read about like how to travel Southeast Asia on a budget. And so I, I did have a bunch of metrics that I was tracking around IP addresses and number of page views. But I think I was figuring out that it was mostly Wisconsin IP addresses of my family checking in on me. So my career as a travel writer did not take off, but it was very fun to try to track and see if I could make a business out of it. Although that's fun. That's something that you did track and it helped you make a business decision about understanding understanding that. So I was curious, so did you have any other like specific metrics besides just the finance that you tracked in order to achieve that goal or was it really just the money? Yeah, I mean, the money was definitely the most finite resource there. I mean, there was also the, the, I think the added challenge that we really didn't consider of following the sun makes sense in theory, but I think we also had to be careful about climates and just general seasons within all the geographical areas we were. Specifically in Southeast Asia, we were definitely playing with fire a few times was like getting close to monsoon season, which definitely messes with your ability to like actually enjoy being outside. And so, yeah, that was another thing that in theory, we thought we could just kind of follow it's going to be summertime in Minnesota, like we're all used to, but it's very like summertime in places around the world are very different. <laughs> and sometimes summertime in Southeast Asia is like unbearably hot that it's actually not that fun. <laughs> so things that we were started to get into and trying to track a little bit better was just general weather trends. And then another unique challenge that I'm thinking through as well is when we got into Europe, it was also both the high time and the shoulder season of like when European tourism season is. And so once we got to Europe, we actually had the added challenge of like many of those countries have, I I didn't realize this, but like almost like set months that like all the Brits are traveling. And then during this month, all of Italy closes down because all the Italians are traveling. And so there's just kind of that added challenge of like doing the research on when was the travel trends of all the residents and when our American tourism's coming over. It just made it very complicated and raised prices for us when we didn't want to be in certain spots. So yeah, lots of like added complications that to the formula. (laughs) Well, that's a really good point about having to like locally contextualize information or decisions that you're trying to make, that it's one thing to say, like, on average, hotel prices in Italy are X. 
so we can kind of budget this. But then to say, yeah, that's true for the summer, but mm -hmm. in June, it's very different than what it is in July because of these unique travel patterns. And then that's different for France or for England to have to think about that. Or even again, just like temperatures and weather and climate that, yeah, it is, an, it is easy to sort of make assumptions based on like where you are or again, even just general trends like, oh, here's the weather in the summer in, in Thailand. But then for the like three weeks that it's monsoon, they're very, very, very different weather yeah. experiences. So keeping track of that can be a bit difficult. Did you find any good way that kind of helped you navigate all of those nuances? Oh, man. I mean, just a lot of internet research. I'm sure there's a bunch of like random websites that I could try to recall. There's like really a, a very fun internet culture around budget traveling, especially during yeah. that time. It was just a, uh, a lot of them were like Southeast Asia is a very well-trodden budget travel spot. Like most of the people I was staying at with hostels was like six years younger, just got out of college. And so like there's just a lot of good insights that other people are able to bring to the table and help us guide our travels as well. And I think that was also the fun part of our journey is not really having to travel, like not set expectations of where we needed to be when uh, so that we could go into a situation and somebody could. I mean, I what literally led us to one of my favorite spots in the world was Myanmar or Burma. That was just at a recommendation when I, we were in Singapore. Somebody had just gotten back from that and were like, you need to go to Myanmar. And so we just adjusted our plans, applied for visas that night and went to Myanmar two days later. And so having a having a trip that was very much just off the cuff made it a lot of fun. And we didn't know where that journey was going to take us. And so just embracing that adventure. The idea of using input from other people who've been there, I think, is really important because, again, a lot of us are trying to do things that are difficult, you know, and having data can help guide us. But how you interpret that data or how you apply it or how you make your next step, the data aren't always going to have all of the answers or the way that you interpret the data can be incredibly helped by having other people who have lived experience, whether they've just come from a place and they can tell you what it was like or what to watch out for or have done something similar, like you said, relying on the fact that there was this culture of budget travel and you could use that to inform the decisions that you make with the information that you have. And then also just that flexibility to adjust. Again, we can kind of get set where we're like, well, the numbers say we have to go this direction. Right. <laughs> but in fact, really, they're just like helping us guide on like where we're going and we can adjust that destination very easily and the numbers will help us go that way too. You know, it's not like when you open up Google Maps and you put in your destination that then they're like, Google says, well, you can't go anywhere else. <laughs> you can't change it. So I like that idea of being flexible and being able to adjust. How I'm just curious, like, how do you think if you didn't have the data savvy that you do and if your wife didn't have the data savvy that she does, how do you think the trip would have gone? What do you think, you know, would have happened? Yeah. I mean, the first thing that my mind goes to is that the trip wouldn't have happened. Mm. <laughs> so that that's probably the worst case scenario is, uh, right. I think, and I honestly think that's the reason why I mean, there's many reasons why people don't do this in their life, but I think a big barrier to that is that there's just this assumption that there is this high cost to pulling this off and that it's just financially impossible to do. So yeah, that, that's the number one thing I think through is not having that, but the other, not having that trip in general, but the other, I guess, outcome would be that there's no way we would have survived all of 20, 2016 traveling if we didn't have the ability to really measure where we wanted to be and making sure that stayed within our budget. It could have been very easy for me to eat all of the sushi in Japan, and that would have been the end of our trip. <laughs> but uh, having those numbers hold me back and realize that there's like more to this trip and more that I need to really make that budget span out allowed us to experience the world the way that we wanted to on our terms for as long as we decided to make it happen. Do you feel like it also helped when you guys had to have discussions and make decisions together about what you wanted to do? 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's something we just like as a relationship do well all the time. But yes, it was it made it a lot easier for us. There's t- tons of experience we can take advantage of, could take an advantage of, have been on the same page and being able to say like, these are the things that are important to me and for her as well to articulate that. Yeah, made it made it really easy to just travel with her and make our budget work for the goals that we both wanted and together as a couple. I constantly tell people that like going on a global trip with your significant other is like the ultimate marriage test because <laughs> it is like you guys are experiencing everything in life 24-7 together that we were actually silent at dinner conversations because we had nothing to share about our day because we literally experienced it together. And that was that was just something that a life experience you just can't take away from anyone. And why I've always just like looked back on that as just such a pivotal moment in my life where, yeah, it was just a great year to be able to travel with my wife and do what we did because we were smart about how we managed our money. I think it's such a perfect story that does encapsulate the power of bringing together the values and the things that you want that are intrinsic to you and to the things that you're looking for out of life or an experience or success and then saying how you make that happen with data. And it is true that it is like the ultimate test because not only are you together all the time, but you have to deal with the things that are most stressful on marriages, right? Like making loaded decisions, like these value-laden decisions, constant discussion about money. Like money has to be one of the biggest things that people fight about. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Having to figure out, we have to do this thing together. We don't always get what each of us wants. We have to compromise about that. So that is quite a test. And clearly you guys made it through with flying colors. Right, yep. Yeah, and a thing, a thing I learned as well is always carry around a granola bar because hanger is real. <laughs> yes. Oh, I can double down on that 100%. <laughs> so if someone listening to this was curious and wanted to take a step towards accomplishing a goal, maybe a business goal, maybe a personal goal with data, what would be the one action you would recommend that they take? Yeah, the one action... I might even turn it into two, but I'll try to stick with one. You can do it. You can go for two. <laughs> I mean, one, one, be clear about what you want success to look like. I think that's one thing I always do as a consultant with my clients, but it's also one thing I do in my life about any big ambition or big venture I want to get into is what does success look like and being able to clearly define that. And the reason why that's part one is because when you know what that success looks like, that gives you a basis for trying to put metrics around how you know you'll be successful with that. Because if you switch right to trying to define metrics, but you don't know what the outcome needs to look like, you might define your metrics based off what you think other uh, that's important to other people, but that's not important to you. In the case of the travel example that I've been talking to, it's it's like, you know, I honed in on money because I knew that that was going to be our limited resource. But if you're coming from a different situation and maybe your outcomes of a world travel are uh, not having to stretch it forever, but have the most amazing time in a single country, the way you're going to measure those that entire trip and success for you is going to be quite different. So that's my two-part answer to any time you're looking to really take that first step, do those two actions, and you'll be set up for success. I couldn't agree more with that. Well, thank you so much for sharing this story. I really appreciate it. I think it's such a beautiful illustration of the power of data in a simple way to really make extraordinary things happen. Yeah, I appreciate you giving giving me uh, space and, and time with your audience. So thank you so much. You have been listening to Heart, Soul, and Data. This podcast is brought to you by Moroccanus, an analytics education, consulting, and data services company devoted to helping nonprofits and social enterprises amplify their impacts and thrive through data. You can learn more at moroccanos.com, M-E-R-A-K-I-N-O-S.com.